Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season six, episode two, and two-thirds of our team, maybe the best two-thirds, what do you think, Kate? What? Is coming to you today oh, yeah. from Columbus, Ohio, generally speaking. Alan is in Middletown, Pennsylvania. But I am, and I just want everybody to note that you're all moving closer to me. Yeah. That's why we came. But That's not too close. Came. Not too close. We're keeping a safe distance. So Columbus, Ohio, home of Wendy's. The no way. The inventor of the square hamburger. Imagine the ingenuity and creativity that took to make square hamburgers <laughs> instead of round hamburgers. I'm Terry, church ministries leader of the Alliance. And I'm Alan, uh, multiplication director, uh, among other things in Eastern PA. And I was so anticipating an introduction with Columbus in mind. So thank you, Terry. You're welcome. And Caitlin is joining us. Who are you, usual. <laughs> I am the digital media specialist at the Alliance. And uh, my other job is keeping Terry and Alan in line. So it's a tough one, but I mean, it should be a full-time job by itself. It could be, it could be, and probably is and, and full-time with overtime, Mm. but uh, all out of the joy of my heart uh, today, our guest is uh, Jeff Vanderstel. He is uh, on the pastoral team at Doxa church involved in uh, Soma network and uh, also in a Saturate organization, and he's the author of, did I say this already? He's the author of Gospel Fluency, and uh, so uh, Alan, talk a little bit about how Jeff has impacted your perspective in ministry. Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, one of the things that I'm sure that Jeff alluded to is um, I grew up in a situation where the gospel really was about just getting getting saved and getting to heaven. And then uh, you kind of put it on the shelf until later. And um, when I started to realize that Jesus is our, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption, to use Paul words, that it was really from, it was my past, my present, and my future. I was like, I need language for that. I, I didn't know where to go, you know? And um, somebody connected me um, to, to Jeff's resources along with uh uh, Tim Keller's resources as well. And um, I, it was really, it's been really helpful for me. And I thought I'm looking forward to having him. Uh, I would love to have him on our podcast. And coincidentally, uh, maybe not coincidentally, but our district is having him as our district conference speaker this fall. So we are super excited about that as well. Fantastic. So uh, grab yourself a Wendy's Frosty, keeping with that theme. Perfect. Chocolate, preferably not vanilla. Amen. Sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. 
If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. So it's our pleasure to uh, welcome to Equipping You Podcast uh, today, Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit. If you would, please tell us about yourself, your spiritual journey, and your call to ministry. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home in Michigan and um, fairly legalistic, kind of shame-based culture. Uh, You know much about Western Michigan. There's a lot of that there. Uh, And so I kind of played the part as, uh, you know, when I was a part of the church and, uh, but learned how to live a dual life, sadly. Uh, And it wasn't until I was 21 until I really found myself meeting Jesus personally, surrendering to him. uh, And then just saying, I'll do anything you want, go anywhere you want. And he led me into an opportunity to serve at a Christian camp in Pennsylvania. You might have heard of it since you guys your area, summer's best two weeks. Uh, cool. So I served there for summer and found out that I had gifts uh, in evangelism and teaching and went back to my home church and asked my youth pastor what I should do with that since I was being trained to get into business. I had a business degree, was finishing. I had one year left at Calvin College and was planning on going to business law, uh, law school at University of Michigan. And uh, God just had a different plan. And so started to get trained uh, through Sun Life Ministries uh, in Chicago. My youth pastor was a trainer for them. And that exposed me to uh, many opportunities, of which one of them was a youth pastor position in Seattle. Uh, So took that in 91, was there for six years, met my wife there. She's a true Seattleite. I often tell people she loves the song, I'm Only Happy When, it's, when It Rains. Uh, <clears throat> she truly loves rain. And, uh, and then I uh, got to serve in a church in Chicago uh, for some time. And both, uh, there were two churches I served in Chicago. Both had very, very broken situations. One, the youth pastor had been involved sexually with students, went to prison for that. Uh, the other church was Willow Creek. And they had a bit of a falling out in their youth leadership, and they asked me to consult them, and then eventually asked me to take on the position. And so I had the privilege of getting to decentralize a very centralized ministry and see God do a lot of work there, which led me to really ask, what if the church were to uh, basically equip and, and empower the whole priesthood of the saints for ministry in all of life, which led me back to Seattle to plant churches that really uh, embodied that view and value. And uh, that's how the Summa family of churches was started, uh, of which now I'm one of the uh, visionary leaders of the larger family of churches around North America and a global expression. And I also lead a ministry called Saturate, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think. But uh, that really came out of uh, the work that God did through our churches in Soma. So that's kind of a, the journey. I've been married for 28 years, almost 29 uh, we have three children. Our oldest is a sophomore at the University of Washington. 
Her name is Haley. Our son, Caleb, is a senior in high school. And our youngest is Maggie. She's just going into her freshman year in high school. And my wife just got trained to be an EMT and got a job and is now starting riding in amb- ambulances around wow. the city. So, <laughs> pretty crazy wow. stuff. I did not see she's, that coming. That's pretty no, cool. No. She's 49. So uh, she yeah. just started that career. That is you just fantastic. told your wife's age on a podcast. You are in big trouble. Man. I am in big trouble. Except for <laughs> she, she kind of likes it because everyone thinks she's 39 because she looks that young. So. That's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that has become, we didn't do this at the beginning of our podcast, but over time, we realized this is just a great question to ask. We love to have our guests share who has influenced them as a leader. And we'd love to hear uh, who's been influential in, in your life. Well, the first influence was my father. And uh, it was through him that I realized the church didn't legitimize uh, everyday life as discipleship. And he didn't know that, but he yeah, and, and we can talk about it if you want, but the very short conversation, he and I fishing and him just saying, we hired a new discipleship pastor for our church. And I remember, and he said, cause I guess none of us know how to make disciples. And I remember thinking there's two problems there. One, uh, discipleship's not a program of the church. It's the entire mission of the church. So when one guy is relegated to lead it and the whole church isn't, we've got a problem. But then second, I thought, man, I saw my dad make plenty of disciples he just didn't do it through church programs. He did it through his business and through his in his home and in the neighborhood. And so that was a significant shift for me to say. I think the church is still thinking wrongly about discipleships. So he he's probably the one of the most influential. Tim Keller has been a, a great gift for me to learn how to preach Jesus in every text. And of course, he was influenced by many others who of whom I've been influenced because of Tim, uh, as he recommended we read them. Uh, and then Guter uh, was uh, a significant influence in terms of the missional church, one of the first books out that kind of called us to think of church's mission, which introduced me to Newbigin, uh, which also influenced me significantly as well. So those are some of the big influences for me. Wow. That's some uh, great influences for sure. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will share uh, several of those along the way. I know for me, Tim Keller has been very formational uh, for some of the same reasons that you said. Thanks. Appreciate you sharing that, man. So, Jeff, you obviously love and, and are committed to the local church and its mission of making disciples. And uh, you lead an organization that focuses on equipping people to make and multiply disciples called Saturate. Talk to us about how Saturate came into being. Yeah, thanks. Uh, when we first started, the, the first church we planted in, in Tacoma, which is south of Seattle, uh, we saw God do some pretty remarkable things as normal, everyday people found themselves living as missionaries in our city together. And as a result, word got out. We didn't try to do this. It just got out. And people started coming to learn from us. Uh, and they would show up on Sunday and say, man, we're here to learn and figure out how you guys are doing this. And I, w- I would always tell them, well, you came on the wrong day because uh, Sunday is not the day when we our people are doing it. They're getting reminded and equipped to go do it Monday through Saturday. So if you want to learn, you're going to have to probably live with them and watch what their lives look like because that's where the mission's happening. And uh, so then people would start staying with us. In fact, one guy from Denmark spent a whole year uh, living in the home of one of our families who was living this. And he was a pastor who has a huge influence in all of Denmark. Uh, He took a whole year to do it. And uh, we found that Obviously, we couldn't keep doing that because we had normal lives to live. So we started a thing called Soma School, where people could come and immerse themselves for a very uh, specific week where we structured it for their own development, 
train them during the day when everyone's at work and then let them live in the homes of people who are on mission in everyday life. And over, you know, several years, we trained probably about a about 2,000 leaders from about 30 countries through the SOMA school uh, approach, more, much more immersion-based learning. And then we realized that people were wanting more help. Uh, they weren't going to keep coming back to get the training. They wanted tools. They wanted coaching. They wanted help. And so we started the nonprofit Saturate in 2015 to really be an extension of the R&D department of the SOMA family of churches. Because uh, SOMA went from Tacoma to all over North America and Eastern Europe and Australia and Japan and all over the place now. And we realized we could take all these churches and learn from each other and then give that away to the larger church that wanted to be served. So that's really what Saturate became was a means by which we could serve the church that's really wanting to get all about Jesus, figure out how to mobilize their people in all of life. And really see the church as, as an equipper for missionary people in everyday life. So that's how we started. Yeah. And that was the title of your first book, Saturate, yes? No? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we I was I was I was replanting a church, launching a book called Saturate, and launching our not-for-profit, Saturate the World, all in the same year, which mm. I wouldn't do that again. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you live to tell about it. I'm still here. Here you are. <laughs> yep, that's awesome. Hey, I'm curious about that. You know, this is a with the Soma name. Obviously, it means body, but like, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, we were the church with no name for about nine months. And I, I actually, I was part of Acts 29. And so they made fun of me regularly for that. Because um, they're like, Jeff, everything you did doesn't, no church planning book or manual or training would, would tell you to do anything you did. Because we did almost everything the opposite of what everybody was told to do. One of them being we have no name. Um, uh, but we said we want to we want to discern the name. We don't know yet. Um, we want to see what God's doing. And so we were actually going through the book of Ephesians together uh, because it really is the constitution for the church. And at the end of chapter one, uh, we hear these words that God made Jesus, who is above all, he made him as head over the church, which is his body. That's the word soma in Greek, in which he fills or through which he fills all in all. And so it was this idea that we had always wanted to, to see our church as the people of God filling the city of Tacoma with the presence of Christ uh, in all that we do. And so that really fit our vision really well, that we are the body of Christ. And oftentimes people, when they talk about body, they think of the church institutionally. And we saw it as the the church organically uh, being sent to fill a place with the presence of Christ. And so that really captured our vision. Wow. I, thanks for unpacking that. I mean, I assumed in the past that it was reference to the body of Christ in some way, but unpacking the thinking behind that is uh, meaningful. And I think some of our church planting listeners will appreciate that input too. So I appreciate that very much. So honestly, the first time uh, I became familiar with you was I reading gospel fluency before I read saturate. I'm guessing that's kind of what elevated your, your visibility, at least to the world I live in. So Talk to us uh, about gospel fluency, why you think that resonated, and just unpack it a little bit for us. I know you do whole trainings on it, but you know, unpack it for us a little bit. Yeah, uh, the whole concept of gospel fluency is that th- the gospel isn't just a, a few facts. I mean, it includes the, the reality, the truth of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and future return. Like, all that is really good news. Uh, 
But unfortunately for many of us, um, we think it only has to do with our afterlife and not our everyday life. And in a lot of ways, for some people, the gospel, and I'll just borrow this, this is Keller now, uh, a lot of us think the gospel is the ABCs of Christianity instead of the A to Z. And and that, that I, as I grabbed a hold of that and recognized that even I had been brought up in that context where the gospel is good to get people out of hell and into heaven when, you know, kind of afterlife, but then we've got to do something else for everything else. And, and it's almost like the truths of Jesus don't really apply other than maybe an example for us to follow. And I, I just, as I read the scriptures, I realized that's not, that's not what Paul says. That's not what the entire Bible says for that sake. And it certainly has, I think, limited the power of God for salvation to all who believe uh, in every aspect of life. So that, that I felt the problem significantly as I was seeing Christians not understand how Jesus had anything to do with the rest of their life. That was really the deal. And so it was like, what would it look like if we could learn how the gospel applies to everyday life? And then we could learn how to speak it. Because it, it is, it still needs to be spoken. It's not just something we assume. It's good news that needs to be declared and then remembered and meditated on and, and then the, really put the weight of our life on and live with it being the center of everything. And I will, I will highlight this. I, I've developed some friendships with some people in Sheffield, England, uh, Tim Chester, Steve Timmis, or a few of those. And so I, we would go and spend time with them because we were finding that we were saying some of the very same things. But what I found when I was with them is that their people could speak the gospel consistently all the time. I just was, I was blown away at how the gospel applied to washing dishes for them and, you know, going out to eat and how they would, you know, treat servers and all that. It just was like, man, what if the church was like that? And then I remember, you know, back to my earlier days of Soma and especially uh, going through Ephesians and you get to chapter four, where it says we speak the truth in love. By speaking the truth in love, we'll grow up into all things into Christ who is our head. And later on, Paul says the truth is in Christ in verse 21. And for me, it's like the dots just connected. Like we will never grow up into full maturity to look like Jesus if we don't learn how to speak the truth of Jesus into everything. Mm-hmm. And any way in which we don't know how the gospel changes a part of our life, that's the area we won't be like Jesus. Uh, because the only means by which we become like Jesus is Jesus. He's the power to do that. And it's in him and the truths about him that we're going to be transformed into his image. That is beautiful. I think the Alliance yeah. connects with that. We just haven't framed it that way before because, yeah. you know, we have a, we see Jesus, our savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. But sometimes framing it the way you are really, I think it's helpful to us in the Alliance. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So uh, Alan put me onto your book, uh, Gospel Fluency, because I want to be like him when I grow up. I try to read everything he reads. And so I think you owe him a micro percentage of your uh, your royal. Maybe a nano percentage. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So I'll uh, tell you who I really owe it to if you want to hear. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, Justin Taylor. Huh. So Justin Taylor heard me speaking it at at Austin Stone, or he caught the video somehow, and then he started sharing with everybody he knew. And Justin had a pretty big platform uh, about gospel fluency. And then he, among many others, he was what you know one of the the, the publishers that pursued me to write the book. Uh, and of course, 
Crossway is the one who did end up publishing it, and Justin Taylor leads that, you know. So uh, I, I owe a lot to Justin, of which he is getting the the percentage because they're my publisher. So. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. There you go. You're left out in the cold, Alan. Once yeah, again. it's all right. So, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> so one should never write a book unless God burns it into your heart. In fact, I don't think anyone can really write a book because it's too hard of a process unless God burns it into your heart. So you, you've kind of unpacked that a little bit, perhaps, but are, are there other things that led you to write gospel fluency in the first place? And why do you think that book is so well-received and so loved by the uh, by many in the church? Yeah, I mean, the pragmatics behind why I wrote it is because I was speaking it so much and people finally said, you got to write. And I don't like to write. I'm not a writer. I'm, I like to speak more than I like to write. And so they just nailed me down. <laughs> In fact, it got to the point where my elder said, now you're being disobedient if you don't like make this available to serve the church. So <laughs> wow. frankly, that's how, that's how it came about is my elders just made it a part of my job description to do. Wow. Um, but the, the deep, the deep part of it for me, in terms of my deep conviction was I was just watching a very, and I, and I hope, I want to say this with gentleness, but it, it needs to be said. I was seeing a largely immature church in North America uh, with most, most of the followers of Jesus seemingly still at infancy level. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is when you get mature in, as a human, you get to the place where you can father or mother a family, where you can you can pour back into another young little human and help them grow up, right? The maturity is that I can now lead a household and I, or I could lead a, a people to grow up as, as well. But when you look at most of the church, most Christians would say, I don't know how to make a disciple, let alone lead a family of disciples to grow up into maturity. Uh, and I think the fact that there's only few who could really do that, it seems in the church, at least that's what I'm being told from everything, all the studies that are out there, Grip that that's the part that gripped me deeply. Like, wait a minute, our job is to raise everybody up into maturity. That is the fundamental job of the leadership of the church. So, why do we have such an immature reality? And for me, answering that question led me to gospel fluency, which is if it's by the gospel in all of life that we're going to grow up in all things into Christ then we better work hard at helping people grow up in every way in Christ by learning how to speak the truths of Jesus into everything. That really was at the heart of it. it was what, our job is to make disciples who look like Jesus, and the means is Jesus. Yeah. But if we don't know how Jesus applies to everything in life, then we're going to be stunted. We're going to have parts of our life that look like Jesus, and the majority of our life doesn't look anything like Jesus. Mm. How we go to work doesn't look like Jesus. How we handle racism doesn't look like Jesus. How we handle our finances doesn't look like Jesus. How we handle our marriage doesn't look like Jesus. How we parent our kids doesn't look like Jesus, and on and on and on. And so maturity is when I live a life that looks like how Jesus would live it if he were in my body. Yep. And the means to that is the gospel. Yep. Yeah. Woo. That's good stuff there. Let me tell you, I don't, and earlier you referred to how, you, you know, when you were first processing all this, you saw that the church saw the gospel primarily as a concern with our afterlife, not this life. Uh, in our, in our district team here in Eastern PA, we refer to it as ticket to heaven thinking that people primarily think of the gospel as their ticket to heaven. Uh, and they kind of get saved, put that in their back pocket so they can hand it in when they cross that line. Um, why do you think that kind of ticket to heaven thinking be, has become so prevalent? And what can pastors do to start 
helping people get a richer understanding of the gospel? So this is going to be a, the answer is going to have a few parts to it. Sure. Okay. So the first part is, I think Gnosticism is still in the church. And if you're a listener and you don't know what Gnosticism is, it comes from the word Gnosis, which is knowledge. Uh, and so, so the idea of non, the Gnostic false gospel that crept in, we see the early beginnings of it, even in Paul's letter to the Galatians. But later on, and it's a philosophical viewpoint that says that what happens in the body is either doesn't matter or is even potentially evil. The whole idea is to get out of the body to a disembodied state. The only thing that really matters is higher levels of knowledge. And that breeds into a thinking that ultimately getting out of, off, off this planet and getting to heaven is the goal, not living differently on this planet, which is it, it, the, the whole heart of the gospel is an embodied uh, faith with Jesus and the incarnation. And so you've got Jesus coming in and embodying. It wasn't like he was trying to get out of his body. So a Gnostic gospel would say Jesus was trying to get out of his body the whole time. And that the, the crucifixion was the, the best part way to do it, because if you could kill him, then he, he's no longer in a body. But the problem is he rose again with a real body that ate a meal with the disciples. So an embodied spirituality is really important. So that's, I think most Christians don't have an embodied spirituality. So that's the first thing. That's why we, we like almost, we take like worship services or teaching as like, that's the pinnacle of Christianity because it's all a precursor of what heaven will be like. And so therefore we downplay everyday life and work and eating and just the normal stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons. Second, you, when, when people used to share the gospel, it was like, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain, for certain where you would be? And mm-hmm. you didn't that's have how to, I learned it. Absolutely. Right? That was, <laughs> yep. that was the fundamental question. The reason why is because there was a lot of other stuff assumed like, like a, a biblical narrative or at least a biblical foundation. There was a sense of right and wrong and that there was a God and that we're one day going to be accountable to that God. And so culturally, there was a lot you could assume. And so it was like the last question, are you ready? You know, and now you don't have that. Like today, like yeah. most people don't believe in hell. They maybe don't even believe in a personal God. Uh, they certainly don't have a biblical narrative. Like, it's just the wrong question to ask in this particular point of time. So that's the other problem is it, it was like one question among many, the many had been answered. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and then I think, I think a third reason, not only the Gnostic, the body doesn't matter and therefore everyday life doesn't matter. And not only the problem of uh, we only had to answer one question, where am I going when I die? But I also think that people think in the end, we're getting out of here. Like their fundamental theology is we're going to another place. But the problem is the biblical narrative is that heaven's going to come down to earth, that Jesus is going to make, bring the holy city down. That there's a sense that what, just like the garden, heaven and earth will once again be intersected. And so because you don't have a theology that values this planet, you, you can only talk about getting away from it. Mm. And so I think that's the other reason why we don't have it. And therefore... Sadly, <laughs> most of most of our teaching has nothing to do with anything we're ever going to do here, which is so problematic. And at the heart of sanctification, you can't even have a, a, a view of sanctification that doesn't value my life on this planet. But the problem wow. is, is most Christians don't think there's any, has anything to do with this life on this planet because they think it's all going away and we're going away. Mm. It's all 
there, there's my answer. <laughs> that is, you unpacked a lot and it left us a lot more to unpack. We have to process that, you know, yeah. no doubt about it. And um, I think all our listeners would do well to let that settle in. Maybe listen to that little answer one more time. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeff. Appreciate that, yeah. man. Yeah. So, Jeff, uh, this whole, whole area of making disciples, what are some other obstacles facing the church today? Well, I mean, some very obvious ones are the the millennials are pretty disillusioned and Gen Z is leaving. Uh, I mean, that that's just the facts of where, where things are headed. And so if you're you're a leader in the church and you aren't wrestling with that problem, then you're probably not going to have a church uh, in probably about 15, 20 years because uh, they're, they're going somewhere else. And that's just the reality. That's all the facts tell us that millennials already made that clear. But the Gen Z, last I heard, it's getting close to 50% will leave the church. So that's a huge number when you think about it. And so I think you've got to wrestle with that problem. And, and you know, the, the I had a conversation with a guy that supports our work. He said, Jeff, the work you guys are doing is so important. He said, my daughter's a, a millennial. And what she said, this is her language. She said, Dad, I'm tired of, of concerts and classrooms. That's that's all the church has been offering me is a concert on Sunday and classroom education. It's like I can get a concert somewhere else. I can get plenty of training elsewhere. What what we're longing for, and this is her speaking on behalf, you know, take it or leave it if you think she's right, uh, on behalf of millennials. What we're longing for is community that's real and a cause that's worth giving your life to. And I think the Gen Z is going, they're not just saying that, they're going, and the church can't give me either one of those. It hasn't. And so I'm looking. And then you add to it the fact that they're on their device constantly. And therefore, there's a virtual uh, community that they're finding themselves connecting to for better or for worse. And they're going, I, I don't, I actually get more from that virtual community than I do my church. And, and that's that's pretty much their narrative. So they're just trying to figure out what do I do with that? So that's a really big problem that's got to be dealt with. And then you add to it the, the social unrest around uh, racism today and the fact that the church can't even get on the same page around what we do. In fact, it's only dividing the church more and more yeah. because as soon as you talk about it, you're, you're being accused uh, one way or the other. <laughs> and so that's a big problem that's got to be addressed. And then I think the valuing of men and women um, in, in ministry as equal image bearers of God is a really big deal uh, that I think the church has got to continue to wrestle with. Uh, there's, there's, as we see, there's been a lot of uh, abuse, um, uh, especially around that. And then I think, and I'm giving you a lot, of, a lot, I know, but another one is, is the narcissism of the pastor and the codependency of the congregation. Uh, that, that's, that's real. It, it's it's destroying the church right now, and I think we've got to address it with a, a true plurality of leadership that gets rid of the narcissism and a true interdependency of the congregation that helps all people get healthy and not be absolutely uh, dependent in an unhealthy way on their pastor. So those are the big ones I see ahead of us. That wow. last one is stepping on some toes. Yeah. So uh, thanks for doing that. We'll send you the podiatrist bill later. That'll be great. So, no, thank you. That is honest and uh, necessary uh, feedback. Yep. Uh, the kind of stuff that we love to give our, our listeners for sure. So uh, 
you know, one of the things that I've noticed, this is just an outside observation, not hearing it directly from you, but it seems like you are constantly learning and then you pass along that learning, you know, from saturate to gospel fluency to some of the other keeping up with some of the other things that I've uh, seen saturate put out. So I'd love to hear what are you learning now? Yeah. I mean, it's coming out of my own brokenness. Uh, almost two years ago, it'll be two years on November 14th. Um, my, one of my best friends and really my Timothy in the faith uh, took his own life. And so <clears throat> I had to wrestle with what, what, what have I done? You know, and not to make it all about me, but you, you still can't help, but go, man, if this is the guy I poured my life into and discipled, and then he took his life, what, what do I want? You know, sadly i put more on me than i needed to at first and got some help and counseling so it wasn't i wasn't just blaming myself for what happened but it still put me into a pretty dark space and so i started i was going to start seeing a counselor and my elders said you know we think you need more than just typical counseling i think Mm -hmm. they were trying to gently rebuke me (laughs) um you know and help me get the help i really needed and so they introduced me to a ministry called tin man uh, ministries that Jeff Schulte helped to fu- to start. And um, you, you probably know, you hear that Tin Man, it's like the Tin Man didn't know he had a heart. And uh, I really, for the longest time, even though I didn't realize it had operated out of my head and did not pay attention to the deep longings and, and desire and voice of my heart. And through that, I began to awaken to my emotional world and the brokenness that was there because of my own childhood trauma Uh, Some of the the spiritual abuse I had gone through in the years of the church, and God brought a lot of healing to me. But in that process, I realized that the more that I was attuned to my emotions, which are really a gift from God to tell me the truth about myself in the moment. They may not be telling the truth about God or the world, but they're telling me the truth about myself in the moment. Like, I'm really afraid right now, or I'm really sad right now. I'm really hurt right now. The more that I did that, the more that I had access to be honest about what I really needed. I'm sad. I need comfort. I'm hurt. I need, I need someone to bring healing. I'm afraid I need God's refuge and protection or help. And the more that I was attuned to what was going on in my heart, the greater vulnerability I experienced between God and in my relationships with people, which led me to not only receive the gospel more profoundly in my own heart, but press into relationships in a much more profound way as well. Uh, leading to greater intimacy with my wife and my kids and my fellow workers. And so what I'm learning right now, and it's coming going to be coming out as I go to speak with Jeff Schulte in the coming months, is that we that the gift of our emotions that God has given us is an access point to pay attention to our real need for Christ. And so in a lot of ways, my gospel fluency stuff is now going to a deeper heart level than it's ever gone to before as we learn to vulnerably show up with our real needs. And I, I'm convinced this will probably be the way into evangelism for us in the future, where it's not just apologetics, it's not just giving answers to questions, but rather listening long enough to the longings of the hearts of people and then showing them how Jesus can meet their deepest desires. Wow. Wonderful. Okay. <clears throat> Very helpful. So in the Alliance, refer to, we refer to ourselves as a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And uh, one of the statements that Alliance people hear often, kind of a new vision statement, we want to bring all of Jesus to all the world. So how does the ministry of, of the Saturate organization 
intersect with the mission of bringing Jesus not only to our neighbors, but also to the nations? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Uh, one, Saturate the World, which if you go there, saturatetheworld.com is a website that we created to resource the church. And we wanted to make it free to everybody outside of the North American context, outside of the United States. So we asked people to subscribe to it and pay a very small subscription rate. It's smaller than a Netflix membership uh, to get all the resources, all the video, all the training so that we can also give it away to the world for free. And so we're serving people from nations all over the world by giving them this free content, free training. Uh, and ideally, it allows us to then connect with them and help them in their own context as missionary people are going cross-culturally to serve them. And so our desire is to see what we call a gospel saturation hub established in uh, every major population center in the world. Uh, and so that's uniting the church to reach, for instance, Tokyo. So we're working in Tokyo, helping the church get united around gospel centrality and missional living and everyday life. And not only can they use the resources that are being translated into Japanese, but we're also providing coaching and mentoring uh, for the leaders on the ground and then sending people to go join the church that are already trained here in our context to be a part of their work over there. We know that the best way to reach a nation is through indigenous people. So even if we do send people, it's to serve the indigenous leaders as they're working on gospel saturation in their own context. So that's really the work that we're committed to as Saturate is to see uh, a support given to the church around the world to really equip them for gospel saturation of the cities they live in. That is our heartbeat. I mean, that's the founder, the founder of our heartbeat, you know, was driven by a mission to seeing people perishing in a dream uh, and from China and other places. And we feel, I believe deeply in the Alliance. One of the things we do is we feel the heart of Jesus for the world deeply in the Alliance, even though we may get there in different ways. If you could help us to see how this works, you know, sometimes people have a, a convoluted just in their mind, it's not clear how evangelism and discipleship work together and how that multiplying actually locally actually helps them multiply to the world. I would love to hear that. And I'm, I'm thinking our listeners would be hungry for an answer like that as well. Well, yeah, I'm going to go back to the narrative of starting SOMA back in uh, 2003, the church in Tacoma. When we started it, we said we, we, we believe one of the problems in international missions is that the people we're sending didn't do it at home. We basically said we don't get to send anybody unless they've been proven in their home context to be able to make disciples who can make disciples. Uh, and so we just said if they're with us for three years, we would hope that after three years of being in our context, they would, would be able to go to any part of the world as a very effective disciple-making disciple. Uh, my own experience on the field is that oftentimes missionaries, and I, I want to speak with respect and honor, Oftentimes, missionaries that I met hadn't led someone to Christ in years, hadn't discipled an indigenous leader, hadn't been able to see a church planted, but, they, but they're still there. And it's like, wait a minute, if we were doing that on our own soil, some would say, maybe you missed your calling, or maybe you need some more training, or maybe you need some more help, but this is a problem. And of course, we can't control the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. But... We, when you're in a place for 10 years and you have zero fruit, you should at least be troubled by that. And so what I found is that a lot of times missionaries were sent not because the church had trained them and developed them and they were very effective 
members in their own church, it was oftentimes they were sent because they thought they could be more effective in some other context. And my own conviction is we should send our very best. The people that have really done well in our context should be the ones we send to go elsewhere. So that's one of the things that I think is we've got to really wrestle with is what are we, who are we sending and what, what true on the ground training and expression have they already given to their own local church? That's the first. The second is I think when the, when the church in the United States and let's speak North America sees all of their members as missionaries sent across the streets, sent to work, sent to school, sent to sports activities, when they begin to embody the, the, the sentness of all of God's people, then they begin to have a heart for the nations. They have a heart for what missionary activity looks like all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. But when they don't see themselves as sent in their own context, they feel very disconnected from the sentness of a missionary that's cross-cultural or to another nation. And I think the more we can embody the sentness of the church in, in the United States, the greater our heart will be for the nations, which will lead to what I've already said, sending more equipped, better equipped people, but also giving more money away for the work because our hearts are completely committed to the mission of Christ here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's beautiful. One of our, um, I'm sorry that I'm adding a little extra here than what we planned to go, but you are just, your answers are stirring my heart and stuff. So I apologize even to Terry here. Terry, thanks for putting up with me. Uh, one of our team members here in, our, in Eastern PA. Thank you. <laughs> um, David Dixon wrote a, a blog post for us called the constructive interference of missions, because he felt like a lot of our churches in particular separated the two. You had either local church and then what was done over the world. And to realize that both of them helped each other when we had both of them in mind and didn't separate them. And what I hear you saying is that we are going to be more fruitful than those two things come together as seeing them as separate streams. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll I'll give you just a real short story. We had one of our missional communities that's in our Solo Federal Way Church, which is another just south of Seattle. They, They planted six churches in Sierra Leone with indigenous leaders. Just a missional community. Wow. This is not like a paid staff of the church. This is a, a missional community that began to pray for a people, went and visited, got on the ground, started to pour into them. And for the last 12 years or 10 years has been mentoring these leaders every single week for a long time. And now there's six churches planted. In fact, one of my, I just was told during COVID, one of the leaders from this missional community coached them and how to just take people go to village from village to village because they couldn't gather and individually in households just take them through the story of God, which is an oral telling of the whole yeah. story of God. That's big and, in the alliance. And, and, and they did that for like many months during COVID. And when they were finally able to gather again, their first gathering had over 900 people. Wow. Wow. So it's just like, <laughs> praise the Lord. But that came out of a people in Federal Way, Washington, who believed in everyday mission, and therefore they believed they could train others in another country in how to do it as well. Wow, that's beautiful. That resonates with the Alliance heart for sure. Yeah. So bringing it home here, you have, uh, you've already talked about some of the resources and how Saturate can help. Was there any other resources or stuff, direction you would give to pastors and church leaders to help them be more fruitful in making disciples? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'll brag on my books a bit because I hopefully they're helpful. I think Saturate for when I wrote the book Saturate, it was to help people have a vision for how you can make disciples in everyday life. So a pastor struggling with even envisioning what that could look like, that book, I think, could serve them. And then Gospel Fluency. Uh, if they don't know how to really speak the truths of Jesus into everyday life is really helpful. We, we, I, along with Ben Connolly, created uh, like study guides that go with each one of those. One is the Gospel Fluency Handbook, and then there's the Saturate Field Guide. And the Saturate Field Guide would be, how could we get a small group to start to learn how to be on mission together so it looks a lot more like a community on mission and not just a bunch of Christians doing a Bible study? So that could help guide people to start being on mission wherever they live, work, learn, or play. And the Gospel Fluency Handbook is for a group of people to learn how to practice speaking the gospel into all of life. So those tools, I think, are really helpful around what we just talked about. And then I've already said it, but I'll say it again. The SaturateTheWorld.com has literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of resources, videos, PDFs, study guides, that if a church leader were going, hey, man, where do I go to find stuff that I could give my people? That's the place to go. I, I personally think it, it, it probably has the largest collection of gospel-centered missional resources in the world in one place. Mm-hmm. So and it's not just my stuff. It's, we're trying to learn from everybody and then put it into a format that's easy for everyone to use. So. Fantastic. So, Jeff, we appreciate all that Jesus is forging in your heart and mind and that you're sharing it with the uh, church in a beneficial way. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with uh, us today, our Equipping You podcast listeners. May the Lord continue to uh, uh, lead you in your ministry, continue to speak to you and and uh, help you in ways that help uh, the church. Well, really good stuff from uh, Jeff Vanderstelt. And, um, Appreciated dynamic insight on uh, millennials and uh, Gen Z. And uh, as much as I would love to say that I'm a millennial, I'd be lying about my age. So, by two generations. Yeah, I'll buy. (laughs) Anyway, Caitlin, what do you think when he was talking about that? Did that resonate with your heart? Yeah. I mean, it's been something for a while that's been on my heart. And especially now that I've recently moved to Columbus and, you know, looking for a new church home, I actually started going to a young adult ministry at a vineyard church uh, here in town. And after being there for a month or so, they announced a change that they weren't, they weren't doing Sunday night gatherings anymore. And they were kind of breaking off into missional small groups because that was the feedback they were hearing. That was the way the Lord was leading them. And they knew that that was really what our generation needed that you know younger millennials gen z were looking for meaningful connection and that was a breath of fresh air to me because there's been times where i'm like man i just wish i had a group of people that i feel like i could really go for that would sit and pray with me or pray over me people that i could really share my heart with and there's been times in life where i've looked back even when i was a teenager in youth group and i've looked back and i'm like man, like, I just, I feel like I, like, there's got to be more to discipleship than this. So when he was talking about millennials and also talking about the fact that he felt that we've had a lot of immature Christians in the church, all of that kind of struck a chord and it's things that I've noticed and that my heart has ached for. So it was cool to hear him echo that. 
Yeah, that's good. He said a community that's real and a cause to give my life to. That's what they're looking for. And yep. pastors and leaders of churches, we do well to pay attention to that. Amen. And uh, in reality, every generation can benefit from that. Amen to that too. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on Equipping You Podcast. We love uh, doing this and love that you listen and hope that you benefit. Uh, next time on uh, Season 6, Episode 3, you'll hear from Myron Pierce from uh, Mission Church in Omaha to talk about urban ministry and how they're doing it and how they're seeing God work in Omaha. Uh, Myron is a great leader, and we're looking forward to that. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.